0: This is the Amblecote Christian Centre podcast. Hello, and welcome to the first podcast in our whole church teaching series on a theology of pleasure. To save any confusion, I I should begin by clarifying that this first podcast is the teaching that I originally delivered on Sunday, the thirty-first of November, in the morning service. Uh, So if you were there then you've already heard this podcast and if you weren't there then that will explain why uh, this one will feel a bit different in tone and delivery to the other podcasts in this series. I really hope this teaching is helpful to you uh, but I hope most of all that it inspires you to dig deeper yourself into the scriptures, into some of the recommended reading and that your Christian worldview would grow more biblical and therefore be more liberating. If you'd like to dig deeper into this, then as well as those things, in the new year I'm going to run a couple of discussion sessions. Uh, there are no set times or dates yet, but if you're interested, just drop me an email Murray at amblecotechristiancentre.org.uk and I'll be in touch with you to organise uh, those sessions. So without further ado, let's launch into the teaching where in this first podcast we'll focus on the connection between hope and pleasure and identify some of the problems we can have as Christians in this regard let's read psalm 16 together and then i hope to give you a taster as to what the theology of pleasure will be all about preserve me O god for in you i take refuge i say to the lord you are my lord i have no good apart from you as for the saints in the land they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight the sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy ones see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Okay, so keep that psalm in front of you, perhaps. Psalm 16 is a psalm of hope. Uh, Towards the end, you know, David writes that, my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices. He clearly has some hope in the present, and he also has hope for the future. So Sheol, it it may be different in your translation, may say Hades or something like that. Sheol was just the place of the dead in ancient Jewish thought. So when David said, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, He's expressing some hope for the future. And hope is one of the virtues that following Jesus is meant to produce in our lives as time goes on. So Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, the famous chapter that you know because it talks about love and you've heard it at loads of weddings, talks about more than love. In verse 13 of chapter 13, Paul says that faith, hope and love remain, these three but the greatest of these is love. Faith, we're used to that being a kind of important part of the Christian life. We're used to love being an important part of the Christian life. Hope is the one that often gets missed out, I think, when we think of the kind of uh, specifically Christian virtues. And in fact, hope is one of the great themes of the New Testament. So uh, take the book of Romans, for example. Again, Romans, we're probably most familiar with Yeah, Romans, it's about justification by faith. It's about being delivered by the law and being saved through grace. It is, it's also full of this stuff, talking about hope. In chapter five, at the end of the letter, Paul offers this final prayer. I think I've, I've plopped it on the board, on the board, on the screen. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, ye may abound in hope. And there are many more examples of this in the scriptures. But what I want to point out this morning, the kind of big headline I want, I want to, us to take away, is that our hope is fundamentally tied to pleasure. Our hope is fundamentally tied to pleasure. Let me explain why this is the case and why this matters. So we can already see that the two are connected in, in this scripture that I've just read. Uh, Paul asks that the God of hope will fill you with joy. Now, joy is admittedly a different word to pleasure. um, But they're not inseparable concepts. Our pleasures, after all, are the things that we enjoy. Yeah? Our pleasures are the things that we enjoy. They produce a joy in us. And the link is even more obvious in Psalm 16. So if you've still got that in front of you, why don't you glance back to verse 11 of Psalm 16, where at the end of the psalm, David articulates his hope that God will deliver him from Sheol, deliver him from death. And he says this, he says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So hope and joy and pleasure are inseparably tied together in uh, the thought of this psalm. He hopes in God because in God's presence is fullness of joy, which is the same thing as saying that at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. So I would suggest that scripturally there's a significant connection between pleasure and hope, but there's also a logical connection, isn't there? If we think logically, we can see that hope and pleasure are connected. Ask yourself this question. Who hopes for what they won't enjoy? Yeah? Who hopes for what they won't enjoy? Which of us has a deep longing and hopeful expectation for pain? None of us really hope for suffering. We may, as Christians, rejoice in suffering, but that's because we have a hope that goes beyond the suffering. We don't rejoice for the suffering in and of itself. We hope for something. We hope for what we enjoy. That's a kind of basic logical truth, I think. We hope for what will bring us pleasure. Now, even as I say that, though, we hope for what will bring us pleasure, I wonder if for some of you, it just feels a bit uncomfortable to put it in those terms. And if that's the case, that's kind of exactly the reason that I want to offer this whole church teaching if there's a jar in us between our hope and the idea of pleasure. So um, let's talk kind of honestly about this problem then, which I observe in in many of us. Uh, What is the ultimate hope for the Christian? what, What is your ultimate hope as a Christian? If we could sum it up, how would we do that? What is our purpose as humans? What are we made for that we hope to one day attain? To save us from saying a whole load of stuff quite clumsily, I've I've, uh, gone for some help uh, to the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is um, a summary, a brilliant summary of the foundations of the Christian faith. And it provides a very concise answer to this question. This is the first question of the catechism. Um, Catechisms are uh, are kind of ways of teaching that rely on question and answer format. So the first question of this brilliant summary of Christian doctrine is this. What is the chief purpose of man? Wowzers, the kids are back early. I will speed up. (laughs) We're nearly there. We're only five minutes away. What is the chief purpose of man? The answer is this. Man's chief purpose is to glorify God, okay, we're familiar with that, and enjoy him forever. To so glorify God and enjoy him forever. Is this what you hope for? Is your hope in life to enjoy God forever? Does, or perhaps the, the better way to put the question is, does that thought fill you Internally, with anticipation? Does it uh, stimulate your emotions to think about enjoying God? Or do we find that a bit difficult to connect to? Do our emotions seem entirely unresponsive to the suggestion of enjoying God? Does it sound like the kind of thing you know you should say as a Christian, but is detached from your own experience? I want to flesh out three particular problems, I think, that we, that we might find uh, in this area, ways that we find it hard to link the idea of God to the idea of pleasure. So the first problem is this, the problem of um, heaven, in inverted commas, the problem of heaven. It's not uncommon to find Christians, some of us, uh, who are not looking forward to going to heaven. It's actually not uncommon to find some who are quite disturbed by the idea of eternal life. Uh, We know that when we follow Jesus, we're given eternal life, that we'll live beyond the grave. Uh, We may know that this existence is meant to have no suffering and no pain in it, and is meant to be full of happiness and joy. But rather than eager anticipation, some of us struggle with more of an inner dread, if that's not too strongly put. And I think the reason is that normally we, we have uh, an unbiblical and an unchristian theology about eternal life. And, and so for that reason, I've spent an entire podcast talking about our, our hope of eternal life. It's the third podcast in this teaching series. The truth is, I think, um, you know, to sum it up uh, for now, I think the truth is that for most of us, our real pleasures... The pleasures that we actually enjoy and look forward to, the things that we feel make life worth living, are the physical human pleasures of our lives here and now. Our food and our drink, the warmth of the sun, being able to rest comfortably, the people you love, a trip to the sea, etc., a good friend. Um, when you really think about what you enjoy, is it not often these sort of things? And then what happens is for some of us, when we think about heaven or enjoying God or eternal life, uh, we tell ourselves, or perhaps we have been told, that the pleasures then will be totally unlike the earthly pleasures that we have now. If there's one verse of the Bible that might be referenced, it would be 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9. No eye has seen and no ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love him. Warning for us here, it's always a terrible idea to build a theology on one verse of the Bible. If we think that heaven will be like nothing we can imagine, then we assume that the pleasures then will be totally unlike any pleasure we have now. And that's the problem, because when we make that move, we take away from our hope. All the pleasures we actually enjoy. All the pleasures we actually know and enjoy. And we substitute them for a vague concept of a pleasure that we have no way of engaging with or imagining. And then we try and look forward to it. And that's why it's so hard. How can we look forward to something that is entirely detached from anything we actually enjoy now? Is it any wonder that this kind of theology leaves the idea of enjoying God feeling a bit vacuous? So, much more briefly, two other problems, two specific problems. The second one, I think, is that for some of us, the very word pleasure has come to be associated with sin. That's why some of you had a little shiver when I talked about the theology of pleasure. Now, there's some good reasons for that, because the Bible can talk about the pleasures of sin and warn us against them. Again, we'll tackle that in the podcasts. But unfortunately, some Christian traditions have given the impression that pleasure is sin in itself. That when we're enjoying ourselves in fleshy, human, earthly ways, that this is at best unspiritual and at worst sinful. And I think, to be honest, it's partly because um, culturally we quickly associate the idea of pleasure with sex and our sexuality, And um, rightly so, in a way, because sexual pleasure is one of the great human pleasures. Uh, But wrongly so, when we think that all talk of pleasure is talk of sexuality. Pleasure is simply the word for the experience of enjoyment, to take pleasure in things. And many of us struggle to think of pleasure as good or holy or righteous or godly. But it is. And the teaching will explore why. So thirdly, then, the third problem. When we think about enjoying God, for many of us, the first thing that we think about is some kind of direct spiritual experience of God. We think about enjoying God by sitting in our prayer chair and enjoying him as a kind of, yeah, a, a direct spiritual experience. We imagine that to enjoy him must be primarily about an inner sense of joy, Linked with feeling his presence. If we are more charismatic and extroverts, we tend to imagine this perhaps as the pleasure of the Holy Spirit as we express ourselves in worship and praise. The introverts among us might immediately imagine the inner peace of the presence of God in our study. But in both cases, uh, it's based on this experience of God, this kind of experience of God. And this is a problem if we are one of the many Christians who doesn't have many of these experiences. Um, If that kind of spiritual experience is few and far between, and that is the sum total of what we imagine it means to enjoy God, then again, it's going to be very difficult to look forward to the idea of enjoying God with any real appetite. And uh, uh, please don't misunderstand me here. That kind of spiritual experience of God that I've described is real. And precious and something I hope we all grow in experiencing over time as we walk with Jesus. Direct spiritual experience of God is something to desire. It's part of what it means to enjoy God. But it's by no means the whole of what it means to enjoy God. It's far from an adequate picture of the pleasures of God to restrict them to this. There is much more about enjoying God than these kind of experiences. So to summarise and finish, all of our kind of problems in this regard, I think are indications of how much we struggle to imagine, to actually imagine in a way that engages our whole persons what it might be like to enjoy God and to understand the kind of pleasure that we're meant to hope for. And this matters because, first of all, if we have no adequate theology of pleasure, then our real enjoyments in life will become increasingly detached from what we think God is like. In other words, this will affect our image of God. The things we enjoy will end up being a different sphere from everything we think about God. And can you see where that might lead? We'll struggle to hope. We'll struggle to love God. We'll struggle to receive his love for us. And in the end... To put it provocatively, we will end up being Gnostics rather than Christians. And I'm going to explain what that means in the podcasts. The second reason, then, it affects our image of God, and this always leads to the second, which is it affects the way we live. Um, The inspirational missionary, Jim Elliott, gave his life to serve God and take the gospel to unreached tribes. He's famously quoted as saying this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That kind of radical living for Jesus comes out of a strong grasp of what our real hope is. And I'm convinced that the degree to which you and I will be able to really live radical lives for Jesus is directly connected to how confident we are in our hope. And that is connected to our pleasures. So, that's the hook. There's three more podcasts that will explore theology of pleasure and we would encourage you to journey and engage with this teaching. We think it might be important for our image of God and the way that we live. I'm going to pray. Father, uh, just pray uh, for your blessing on each of us, Lord. As uh, As your scripture says, Lord, though we struggle to understand it, you have designed us and called us to infinite joy and ultimate pleasure. Lord, help us through this teaching, through your work in our lives as we listen to it, to make that hope more concrete in our lives, that we might better serve you and know your love. Amen. Thank you for listening to Amblecote Christian Centre's podcast. For more information about who we are, what we believe and how you can get involved, check out our website, amblecotechristiancentre.org.uk